this morning. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning that we can call you our Father, that we know that you are the mighty God, that there is none like you. Father, we want to come and thank you this morning that the battle is not just our battle, but we have a Father who stands behind us. We have a word of God that you've given us as a fortification. And Lord, there's a spirit that lies within us. Lord, that is not of us, but it's you. It's yours. And this morning as we come, we give you thanks, Lord. For every testimony, we give you thanks for the songs that were sung this morning. We thank you, O oh Father, for the specials and, Lord, the thought that was behind them. And now, Lord, as we come to this part of the service, we know that you're God. You've always been. You always will be. Not just the God of the past, the past week, the past years. Not the God that will be, but the God that is right now in this service. So Lord, let us take our attention and let us put it upon you. Father, we want to look in your word and we're inviting you. Lord, may your anointing be not only on the speaker, but be it on the people, O oh Lord. May it not just be on the elders and the trustees and the deacons and the ministers, but may it be on every child and every young person, every mother, O oh Lord, every sister and brother, O oh God. Father, we invite you, for it's you, Lord. You're the fullness. You're the all in all. We invite you to come. Take the service this morning. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're standing, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. I really did enjoy the specials this morning. God bless you for your heart and what you poured out. And that was, I think, what God finds most pleasing is that we give our heart to him. Deuteronomy 32. I'll need your help this morning. And I, I feel like if I try and do this on myself, it's not going to work. So if you've got the Spirit of God in you, you've also got a hand that you can raise once in a while and a voice that you can put out. You have no idea what difference that makes to a service. It does. It makes a big difference. And you know what? You'll be blessed when you do it. So I'm not going to just prompt you and tell you you've got to say amen or you, whatever you want to do, but just, just participate. Pull wherever you are. Just let's give this time to God this morning. Deuteronomy 32 verse 1. 
This is called the Song of Moses. This is among the last words of Moses on earth here. And uh, he's saying that just before his departure. Verse 1. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, as the showers upon the grass. I will publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe you greatness unto our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Drop down to verse 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father and he will show thee. Thy elders and they will tell thee. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the, bond, the bonds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. Now, I spoke on this two weeks ago, and I'm going to continue on it a little further. We took both Sunday services, and I really want to speak on the Lord's portion is his people. Let's continue in verse 10. He found him in a desert land, in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up, up her nest, fluttereth upon, over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him. And there was no strange God with him. I think if you can begin to picture your, at the world that was at that time, and here's Jacob, but God had him in his hands. I'm going to ask you just to go over to Deuteronomy 33. This 32 was the song of Moses. I don't think we have any song specials that are quite that long, but... It's called the Song of Moses. This is the last words or the last blessing of Moses in chapter 33. This is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord come from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran. He came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand went a fiery law for them. Yea, he loved the people. All his saints are in thy hand. And they sat down at thy feet. Everyone shall receive of thy words. Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. God bless his words. You may have your seat. Somewhere during the last week, my body didn't feel right, my head didn't feel right. 
and I feel like I'm, I'm getting there and it's all good, but a step at a time. If I will follow this through on, on this subject, the Lord's portion is his people. I'll just get right into it. Often our view, and you can call it a complex, that we have as a bride, maybe as a people, I would say sometimes it's a bigger complex than we think because we are not the majority. We are not even close to being numbered in the minority sometimes. We're a a small few for what we are. We're a peculiar people. We are are a different people on the face of the earth. Sometimes it affects us in the way we even witness. We think, you know, nobody's going to receive this. Look at the way the world is going. But yet we need to follow through with what God has put in our hearts. And we can't allow what the perception of our natural man is to affect the way God looks at us. So in light of our existence, sometimes we can see that we're like an off-scouring. <coughs> we're in a season where the wickedness seemingly has the upper hand. And sometimes we are influenced accordingly. We can, we can look at all the allure of Laodicea. We, we see the fight and the struggle for life and, and how hard it is for us to really dwell as a functioning family of God and in just real terms make a living in this earth where um, a father can go and work, where a mother can stay at home with her children because that's God's order. I watched a, a wonderful little, forget the, the man's name, Brother John, you would know him. He's a, he's a well-known, he's a, he's a youthful man in the U.S., and he speaks uh, quite often for the Jewish nation and, and things, and I, I'm just trying to think of his name, but he was speaking at a, at a function the other day, and he was speaking about women, and, and he was going, and he's saying, whatever the world's telling you. You know, and, he, and it was to a, some kind of a legal conference, and, he, and it, it was quite bold, and it stirred things up, and he's known to do that. He says, if the world is telling you that you're going to make a career, and you're going to be a stenographer in a law office, and that it's more valuable than doing what God put you on earth to do, that is raise a family, raise a next generation, I'll tell you what, you're going to be sadly disappointed when you come to the end of your road. And he spoke it so straight, and I said, God bless him for that. That's the truth. The world is pointing us to their way, to Satan's way, to his path. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing. There's no life in that. It's empty. And I say this, we can get influenced as believers. And it's a struggle to make things happen and make things live. But, but there's no greater... Role. You know, the world will tell you, you're just a homemaker. You're, you're just a mother. Why do they have to put the just in there? Turn it around. If you're a mother, say, I am here fulfilling my purpose. I am making a difference. And we need to stand on that. I wish I had the voice to preach it today, but that's why I said I'll need your amens. The word is the word. And I say, thank God that we have mothers, and thank God that we have sisters that love their families and their homes, and God bless fathers for making that happen, making decisions that will allow God's word to prosper in his family order. But there's so many things, the allure of Laodicea, 
the gadgets, the entertainment, and, 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 and the beauty of women, and, and all of these things that are out there. It is the days of Noah. It is the days of Sodom. Those aren't historical days. Those days are here right now. I'll tell you what, I don't know if you've been following the news, but even in Florida, the governor, the governor of Florida has made quite a stir because he, he's, he's coming. The agenda that was put forth by the establishment is there that they begin teaching children about sexuality in kindergarten up to age three. That includes transgender. That includes alternative lifestyles. That includes all of these things. The government, the, the governor that came in there, Ron DeSantis is his name, he said, that's hogwash. I'm abolishing that. And, he, and he's, he's got a star even so much Disney, the biggest corporation that came and said, we haven't done enough to promote these things, and we're going to stand against that. And he says, I'll take this a step further. Disney, you have paid no taxes. You have done nothing. And he says, I am changing all of that from now on. Friends, the world is wicked. But we are still here as God's people. <coughs> so we want to look not from the viewpoint of the world, but from the viewpoint of God. Let's keep going in the Bible. Psalms 105. As I was laying in bed, I picked up a few articles, you can tell. I was reading. And I go, what a wicked world. Don't get used to it. I'll tell you what. The Holy Ghost that's in us, he's got to be fed daily. You've got to give place to him. And if you don't give place to him, other things creep in. And there's a softness and there's a laxness that creeps in. And I, don't, I hate that. When I see it in myself, it happens. It can happen to any one of us. <laughs> Psalms 105, verse 6. O ye seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He has remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. That's still in effect today. As much as God watched over Abraham that was on earth in that day, he's watching over Abraham's seed the same way today. Which covenant he made with Abraham, his oath unto Isaac, and he confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law, and to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, unto thee I will give the land of Canaan. The lot of your inheritance. Now I'm going to come to this at the end a little further, but whenever you are called to possess or to take your land, that's when the biggest fight is. That's when the enemy comes to raise his head. That's when you need to know, I have been given this by God. I'll tell you what, if you don't want to look very far, <coughs> look at Israel. The natural type of what the bride is spiritually. Do you think Israel goes and reads the agendas of the United Nations and says, that land you have, you're only occupying it? No, they don't say, you got the wrong words. It's our land. God gave it to us. 
They, they don't give no care what the United Nations says. They don't care what all the Arab nations say. God had an inheritance that he gave to Isaac, and he had one that he gave to Ishmael. And, 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 and Israel knows their inheritance. So do we as a people, as a Gentile. We need to recognize there's an inheritance for the church, but there's an inheritance for the bride. And it's not the same. And what I've been given is my ground to stand on. I meet people quite often, good people, wholesome people. I was just sharing with my wife the other day, a couple that I came in the other day, and I know they're Christians because their parents are, and I've done work for them, and you could come in and, and you could tell there was something wholesome, there was something good about them, and they got four children they're raising, and, and they're doing this work, and, and I'm listening to them, and, and, and it's good, but yet as they leave, I just see the way they're caught up, and they're dressed, and, 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 and things, and I think, without any knowledge, but they're doing the best they can. I'm not condemning them at all. But I'm just saying, oh, thank God that my eyes were opened. Thank God that I can see it. Thank God there's something in me that's not satisfied with just a half. If you ever want to get the interpretation of what half is, there's a message that, that I know one or two people in this congregation very much like, and I like it too, but it's called total deliverance. And you want to talk about what's halfway Go in and read that message. And then look what's whole and total. Because I'll tell you right now, God is not a halfway God. He doesn't make halfway Christians. He doesn't make lukewarm Christians. The world makes those. But he makes people, a peculiar people, a zealous people, a people that, that desire the things of God. Listen, there's good people out there, just like Esau was good. But Jacob had one factor that was bigger than Esau's. He desired the birthright. He desired God. He desired what God made him. <coughs> so he says, Unto thee will I give the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance. Now look, look, at, look at the perspective that David begins to put forth here. When they were but a few men in number. Yea, very few. I was talking to Brother Tim Dodd, who just got back from Ethiopia several weeks ago. He was also in Germany for Easter meetings. We were talking about the number of believers that are in the Ukraine. And he says... He was talking with Brother Andreas Ringen, who has got one of the larger churches in Germany, and there may be like 250 people. Brother Gerd Rodewalt's another one like that, but there's a lot of little groups, 30, 40, all across Germany. He says, the number of believers that they can think of that may be in Ukraine, maybe 500, 600. And, and you think, all of these battles that are going on and maybe I'll just take this moment to inject this for a minute here. If you don't ever think God is in all these events, we look and we think, all we hear from the, war, from the news, especially the Western side, we think, oh, this Putin, what a guy. He's evil. He's inspired. He's, he's this, he's this. He's, he's in the hand of God. He's, he's not his own man. God knows exactly what he's doing. 
And I'll, I'll just share it this way. My family, my background, my, the generations behind me, my grandmother grew up in that land they call Russia and Ukraine. And she grew up and, and her, my great-grandmother died by Russian soldiers there. My grandmother grew up and as a child she knew God was with her and, and, and when the Second World War came and they had to leave everything behind, you know, a wagon and, uh, uh, and, a, and a widow woman, her husband was called off to war and died, and, and, and nine children. Friends, those nine children, they went through where there was bombs, they went through all kinds of things, there was shrapnel that hit them, they were preserved. They were kept. Don't think for a moment God's hands aren't on them. My grandmother went through all of those things. My mother was just a 12-year-old girl, went through that. My, her sister, eight years old, was lost for two years. And the world is experiencing for the first time what the previous generation went through. And I'm saying all of this is you could look at that big picture and say how terrible that was. But I'm going to ask another question. What about what God's doing? Because as they were pushed out, they came into Germany and they, they knew they had a relative in Canada. They made a desire known to go to Canada. And the Baptist minister at the church they were at in 1948-49 said, if you're going to Canada and you ever hear of a man named William Branham, you go to those meetings. Now you tell me that never would have happened back there. But it came here. And my family, my background, they all moved here. 1957, Brother Branham had 10-day meetings in Edmonton, Alberta. My grandmother couldn't even understand it all, but she went to him. Now, that, that's tremendous. You can point back. But what if they had not come? What if God had not watched over them? Where would I be? Where would my children be? Where would my son be? Where would we be? There's a God that's watching over all of this. We are the apple of his eye. We are his people. <coughs> I came across an article. And there are, in the midst of the war and everything going on right now in Ukraine, thousands of Jews that had... Israeli citizenships, but were comfortable living in Ukraine, have begun to migrate back to Israel. Now, not just Israel, not just Ukraine, but Russia also. They've said, hey, we had a good lifestyle here, but this isn't looking good anymore. And they've all started to go back home. Now, there's a promise, there's a remnant that God's got his eyes on. There's 12 tribes, 12,000 each. God knows the number. There won't be one less, there won't be one more. God's watching over them. And don't think for a moment, maybe this whole war and all of this is designed to bring them into their place. Maybe it's God just doing that. You can go a step further with that. I don't know how long we have, but I will say according to scripture, when the bride is gone, then it turns over to the Jews. And during the tribulation period, two witnesses start to rise up. Under the anointing of Moses and Elijah, according to prophecy. Now, if, if they're about to rise up, I would say they are on earth right now. 
I would say they are getting ready to enter their ministry right now. That's happening right now. And what are they waiting on? It's our portion. We, God's God's got to finish this portion. <coughs> now, man, I jumped way ahead in my notes, but it was correct. And Brother Branham, under the inspiration of a prophet, we would look at the Holocaust. We would say, how terrible. And then he picks it up. God gives it to him and says, that was the tender hand of Jehovah. And we say, oh, how, how can we measure that? How do you know what we're not going through in our lives? Isn't God doing something? How do you know that the trouble that you have isn't bringing you to a place where you're crying out to God? If you're comfortable, it's not natural to work yourself up to cry out to God. But under great duress, there's a cry that comes forward. God knows what he's doing. And I would say, whatever you see in the world, the world systems, the wars, the politics, the, the men that are rising in power, I'll say this, they're nothing to God. But you, where you're standing, your heart towards him, that's everything to him. If I have to take a few more scriptures, I will, because I believe this with all my heart. They were a few, very few, and strangers in it. They went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people. He suffered no man to do them wrong. Oh my goodness, just think about this. You hear, the Bible is the story of little men. But the minute they cross paths with a big man, that's the only time you hear about the Pharaoh or King Abimelech or, or Belshazzar or Nebuchadnezzar. It's only when they cross paths with the believers. Other than that, they're not mentioned. What perspective are we looking at? Listen to what he says here. He suffered no man to do them wrong. He reproved kings for their sakes. He said, touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm. Here is the most powerful man in the, in the earth, Pharaoh, and he's collecting women for his harem. And along the way, he collects this woman who has a brother named Abraham. Notwithstanding, it was a lie. Half-truth is a lie. There's no half-truth. It's a half... It's one or the other. And and he's got it all under control. And he lays back and he thinks, I'm going to marry this this beautiful woman. Well, you can take two instances of this. And and he's thinking, I'm going to marry her. And all of a sudden he wakes up with craps in the middle of the night. And and, and he's he's in pain. And what's going on? And, and, And his kingdom is afflicted and everything's afflicted. What's going on here? And he calls his astrologer. He says, it's that man Abraham. You've taken his wife. All of this because that man? 
Yeah, that man, the man that lied to you, and God tells him in a dream, and he tells Abimelech in a dream, he says, have him pray for you. He says, I didn't do anything wrong. I know you didn't, but he's my prophet. Now, you, you can't figure that out. But I'll say, be it unto me according to your word, Lord. That doesn't entitle you to get away from it in anything. You don't. Abraham paid for his transgressions. <coughs> and if you look at Abimelech, you look at Gerir, the king, you could look at Moses with Pharaoh, you could look at Daniel. Daniel was in the time of all the kings of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius. He was there for all of them. And Daniel endured all of them. <coughs> you know what? In the, I think Brother Harold used to say it, but he says, you know, if you read, would have read the newspapers of that day, and uh, you'd look at all the kingdoms and something, and every once in a while, uh, a saint would come up. It's when something changed, and the, and the wheel in the middle of the wheel was always God's people. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40. We need to hear this because, as Brother Adam would say, we need to know who we are. And when we know who we are, then the rapture will go. So it's not enough to see ourselves as an off-scouring, but we need to recognize that may be in the eyes of the world, but where are we in the eyes of God? Last thing you want to do is take the spirit of, of the of the. 10 spies that went out into, into Canaan. And, and, and they said, you know, I don't know how they had this picture. They must have been on, on the Twitter or, or, or on the uh, Facebook account of all the giants in that land. It said, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. <laughs> or worst case, they would have had to go and come up to a giant and come up to him and tap him by the knees. What do we look like to you? No. That was a figment of their own imagination. I think we can stand in the day of judgment and have boldness because we know in whom we have believed. God has made himself known. He's continuing to reveal himself. The word that I'm feeding on is greater than the news of the day, greater than all the Facebook accounts, greater than all the YouTube clips. This is the greatest news that there is. <coughs> Isaiah 40. These are some of the most, uh, this is one of the most amazing scriptures in the Bible. <coughs> We're all acquainted with the end of it, but I'm going to back up to verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is is passed over from God. Why are you saying that? God, you don't even hear me. How often do we say that? Lord, you don't even know where I'm at. No. He, listen, this is, this is the Bible. He's, he's speaking to the children in that day. Spirits don't die. And he tells them the answer, verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. Ne there is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. 
God does, he knows exactly where we're at. But we need to understand where we are at in him. I was reading a devotional this last week from Charles Spurgeon. It says, we are so prone to trust God for our salvation, which is by grace. We can't do anything. He says, we're so prone to take and accept God's grace for salvation. But then when it comes to fulfilling out a life, we take the law. And we say, it's what I can do. It's what I have to do. We need his grace in salvation. We need his grace in our lives. We need his grace for the situations, the circumstances, the things we can't control. We need him daily. But he would, you, would, you would think, you know, here, he's having to speak to them. Why are you talking like this? Why are you thinking like this? Listen, let's back up a little further. This is a tremendous chapter. <coughs> Go back to verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. Now think about who he is. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather his lambs with his arm. He will carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Now that's what he's going to do. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And meted out or marked out heaven with the span. And who can comprehend the dust of the earth in a measure? And who can weigh the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor hath taught him? You know, I marvel when Jesus came on earth how he had to humble himself and allow himself to come to the level of, of, of the world around him. His, his disciples, not only his disciples, but, but, but the, the Pharisees. This is, this is God coming in flesh, and, and he's, he's entering into them at their level and humbling themselves. But he's got a, he could speak a word, and it would change everything. With whom took he counsel? Who instructed him and taught him? in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding. This, this is an amazing scripture. Behold, the nations are as the drop of a bucket. What do you, what do you, think, of, what do you think of Russia with all its nuclear power? That's what God thinks. What do you think about the United States with all of its pomp and everything? What do you think about your elect? I'm with them. I'm right there for them. Where does he live for? For you and I. <coughs> he says, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he takes up the aisles is a very little thing. Verse 17. All nations before him are as nothing. 
and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. Brother Bram says communism was raised up for one purpose, to destroy the Vatican. It's, 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 don't fear it, he said. It's there for one purpose. <coughs> if you actually want to take a look at the news, what the narrative that you hear coming out of the United States or even out of Ukraine or out of Russia, what you hear is a small percentage of those nations. There's believers in Russia. They don't agree with what's going on. There's a multitude of the masses. They don't agree with what's going on. But it's forces at work. But God's got it in control. Let's just let's take verse 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the world, the earth? It is he that sits upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, and he stretches out the heavens as a curtain, and he spreads them as a tent to dwell in, and he brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judgments of the earth as vanity. Oh, we can fear Putin, and we can fear the leaders, and we can say, oh, they're corrupt, they're this and this. These leaders are going to have to stand before our God, before our Lord. They're going to have to give an account. I don't want to be where they're going to have to stand for. I'd rather stand for Jesus today than try to halfway negotiate with something that the government's doing to make my life easier. Let me stand for Christ. Let me stand for this word. <coughs> he makes the judges of the earth as vanity. They shall not be planted. They shall not be sown. Their stalk shall not take root in the earth. And he will blow upon them. And they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. I, I was just reflecting on this. And I had to think about how some of the great leaders, fearsome leaders that were in history. Joseph Stalin murdered millions of his own people. Ruthless dictator. Yet he died in his room and the staff couldn't enter in even as he was calling for help. Because he was so fearful what people might do to him. I, I, I look at others, you know, where did Hitler end up, and where have all the others ended up? But now take it more recently, we used to have this madman in, in uh, oh, I forget the country, but Mohammed Gaddafi, or what, Libya, in Libya. He was like a madman, and he's like reckless, you don't know what he's going to do. He died, like, by his own people. You could take the same thing and say, Saddam Hussein was feared one time. He was hung as a common criminal. These men are nothing. But there's one that we need to fear and respect. And he is king and he is Lord. <coughs> to whom then will you liken me or who shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high. Behold who has created these things that brings their host by number. He calls them all by names, the greatness of his might, for he is strong in power, not one that faileth. 
And if you drop down to verse 30, it says, even the youth shall faint and be weary, the young men shall utterly fall. But one of the grandest verses in all the Bible, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Wait on the Lord. Renew my strength, O God. Eagle has many great characteristics, but if you look at the number of times when he says, uh, Jehovah Eagle spreads his wings and the little eagles gather on them or gather under them and gather around them, he's still all of those things today. Now I need to just, just take this a little further. You could talk about all the different things that are happening in the world and Let's just, I want to just take this one scripture, Zechariah chapter 14. We're very familiar with verse 6. We use it quite often. It shall come to pass in that day the light shall be neither clear nor dark, but it shall be one day that shall be known to the Lord, not day or night, but it shall come to pass that at the evening time it shall be light. Now, if you, if you take, starting in verse 6 and verse 7, and and but... That tells you something happened before. So what are the conditions before these verses? Let's go to verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Now some of this is pertaining to the Jews. Now I want you to, we, we need to be very careful that we don't become so polarizing in our views that it's just me, it's just us, and that's all that we are. I'll tell you what, there's danger because you become radicalized in that view sometimes. Yes, the bride is a special group of people, but the bride is only a part of the Gentile kingdom. There is foolish virgins. There are those that will actually be on the other side, though not dwelling in the city. So we need to think, okay, I'm not a part of them, but I need to be cognizant. God knows who they are. God knows they'll give their lives. And so there ought to be an element of maturity about our attitude to those that are out I'll tell you what, there are people in denominational circles that I would venture to say have a better attitude than some people that are right in our own ranks. And I'll tell you what, you de- some have developed such a religious spirit, religious attitude that there's no room for anyone. I'll tell you what's horrible. And I say, God help us. Be real Christians. You're a Christian not in just an end-time message tabernacle, but you're a Christian on the job. You're a Christian when you encounter other people. You're a Christian wherever you are. Do good, and you'll be fed. (coughs) Now, beyond that, there is Israel. There's those that gave their lives, souls crying under the altar. How long? How long? They're going to get their portion. There's also 144,000. That, had, that are ready, the remnant that is to come forth. So God's kingdom, I, I, you know, we, we, for many years we thought it's just us. No, I think we need to look a little further. We need to recognize, okay, give them their place. You, wanna, you can go take some scriptures, I'm not going to go through them right now. But when Israel was, was passing by Moab, their cousins, and they wouldn't give them a passage through, God said to him, he says, don't trouble them. They've got their place. And let 
I'll, I'll make a way and I'll also deal with them. You can actually follow through. We read the scripture about Mount Seir. That was given to, to Esau. And you follow that through in the Bible. That was a part of his inheritance. That was a part. And, and Jacob was not to take that inheritance. So they have their place. Let them have it. But we can't help but follow what God has given us. So he says, now this is referring to Israel. The day cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Now look at the attitude of God towards his people in this time. And remember, he's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall be, not be cut off from the city. Wow, how can that happen? How can God allow that to happen? How can God allow things to happen to us that seemingly wound us deeply? But now look at the attitude of God here. Verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand that day upon the Mount of Olive, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olive shall cleave in the midst thereof. And he says, toward the east and towards the west, there shall be a great valley. Half the mountain shall move towards the north, the south. You know, he's talking about a time God's going to fight for Israel. But right now, he's fighting for his bride. He knows where we're at. Let's, let's, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give you confidence. I was just sharing with a brother the other day. Sometimes we, we view the mysteries of God, the deep things of God, the revelations that are behind the seven seals, and we kind of just put them up as knowledge. They can't be knowledge. They have to become life to us. Somebody once said, which of the seven seals did you use to fight with the devil this week? Well, I didn't use the seals, but what was behind the seals? When he showed me that I was with him in the back part of his mind. When he showed me that he came to die for me. And when the enemy came against me, though I was tossed to and fro and though my ship was battered, I had an anchor. And that anchor was that he knows my name. And, and that, listen, that revelation didn't come until the opening of the seven seals. And I tell you, it's very real to me. Because I've hit, I've hit some, some demon spirits along the way. And I'll tell you, the devil can twist you so quickly. And there's got to be something that's a stabilizer. And it's going to be more than a Pentecostal anointing. Now, don't get me wrong. And I'm talking Pentecost, not just the past age, but I'm talking... There is a real Pentecost. And there is a real Spirit of God. And you're going to need that. But it's not just anointing. It's the full Word of God. As it was in the beginning. Okay, let's move on. Our need of God. My. I, I, I figured with what the material I had, I had three services. So... I'm not going to try and preach all three today. 
I just thought I'm going to take my time. We often view and think, we sing the chorus, Lord, I need thee, I need thee. Sometimes we think, and, and Peter would say, if the righteous scarcely be saved, we think, oh, if I can just somehow sneak in and just make it in. And we, we think, oh, if I could just cling just to the edge, if we think in the days of Noah, if I could just cling to the edge of the ark and Noah could pull me up and I'd be in. And, and we view it as, ah, oh, I could just make it. Now, I, I want to just change that a little bit because it's more sure than you think it is. And I, I want to take it from this viewpoint because we often think, oh God, I need you. And, and you know what? We need him with all that we can. Let's go to Acts chapter 7 real quick. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, let's pick up verse 44. <coughs> Excuse me. Now this is Stephen... And he's preaching a sermon, and you know he, he starts out the service you know, in quite a nice way. He gives a historical account of what happened to Israel, and, you know, and, and he's just talking. And now, now he, he's, he's coming to the conclusion. He's, he's coming to the punchline. And, and he's starting to take all these thoughts, but he's bringing his summation together now. So he starts in verse 44, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus unto the possession of the Gentiles. So now he's talking Israel, he's saying this tabernacle of witness, which our fathers had, and now he's bringing in present truth. This is what was, this is a type, but this is what's happening. And he says, Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the day, days of David. And David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. Now, I believe when he started to mention the name of Jesus, there was a little bit of grinding of teeth in the congregation. It was a little bit of narrowing of the eyes. I don't, I, why? Because it was a contrary spirit. But the spirit of God that had bound up or had not allowed an entrance behind the veil had just been ripped. The, rip, the veil had been ripped and now the anointings were bringing us into what was previously held back where God was going to again fill his temple. Now the sacrifice had been made. I'm making some big steps here. He says, now David found favor, desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. Solomon built him a house. Verse 48, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, us as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne. So God doesn't dwell in the tabernacle in Jerusalem any more than he dwells in this tabernacle. Sure, he comes to meet us there, but the real tabernacle is you and I. That's what he's desiring. Church age book. He says, why 
Why, why, why did it have to be this way? Man was created for God. Man was to be the temple of God. The place of God's rest, the Holy Spirit, was man, the temple. Now, now I'm bringing it to the Lord's portion is his people. God, God, thank, God is pleased that we have a house to worship in and that we carry it and we keep it sacred. But he's more desirous of the temple you bring here all the time. So now he's saying, what house will you build me? What is the place of my rest? Has not my hands made all these things? And then, you know, Stephen, you know, he just abandons all political correctness and says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Okay, at, at that point, the gloves came off, this came off, and he says, this is the, this is the bottom line. Now, how, how'd you like to come to that conclusion in that service today? Anyway, <coughs> let, me, let me read this a little further, because I, I just read out of the Ephesian church age, and the church age book is, to me, one of the most marvelous books that we have. And, and, it's, and it's worth taking time to absorb it. Now, Brother Branham will make, these are things you will not find in a seminary, in a theological college. You will not find this under an evangelistic, cursory type, just feel better type anointing. No, this is something sent from the throne of God for the age that we need to live in. Now he says, Satan has known this all along. He wants to indwell man even as God does, but God has reserved to himself this right. Satan cannot do that. God alone appeared in human flesh. Satan could not and cannot do that. Okay, so he can't dwell in human flesh. He will incarnate himself as he did into Judas where he's fully given over. Satan entered him. Don't, don't get this wrong. And it will happen again. Uh, there will be a Superman that will come and it'll be the same thing again. Now he said, Satan does not have creative powers. The only way for Satan to accomplish what he could was to enter the serpent, which was not human, was the closest thing to a human, as he did by evil spirits in the swine. So there's more of this. You can go into the Ephesian church age, paragraph 146, and, and Brother Branham goes into this in, in some, some detail in some time. But I want to jump ahead a little bit. And now he, he takes this transition and he says, now, remember, there were two trees in the Garden of Eden. And he, and he just says it plainly. The tree of life was Jesus. The other tree is definitely Satan because of what came forth from that tree, both of those trees had a relationship to man or they never would have been placed there. So now he's, he's sharing this and he's telling that God had a purpose in these trees. And now he, he just makes this statement. The word is setting forth that from before the foundation of the earth, the purpose of God was to share eternal life with man. Now, that's, that was his original purpose. It still is. Oh, I'm, I, I don't know if you can appreciate. I was just so down a couple of days. and 
And I was just thinking, what a wretch I was. I said, Lord, how could you ever come by my way? How? Just being honest. I said, it was you, Lord. It never was anything I did. And there's times you just feel like you're nothing. You think, it's him. He's the only one. Now, just to carry on, he says, that life could not and would not be shared in any other way than the way of God manifest in the flesh. So Jesus had to come in flesh, take and become the Lamb of God, take Adam's transgression, and pay that price in order for us to become a part of him again. So it was the plan of redemption. It was the plan of salvation. Now these are the words I want you to listen to very, very closely. Because this to me, if we can understand this, this could, could change the way you look at things. Now listen closely, he says. God being a savior, it was necessary that he would predestinate a man that would require salvation. So this attribute that was in God, it was he wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshipped. But he also wanted to be a savior. He also wanted to be a healer. He also wanted to be a comforter. He also wanted to be a guide. Now in order to fulfill any one of those, to be a healer, there had to be something sick. In order to be a savior, there had to be something lost. In order to be a comforter, there had to be something that needed comforting. In order to be a guide, there was somebody that was lost. So in order for him to really express his attributes, he had to have things in a condition that would allow those things. Now, he couldn't force man into that condition, but as man fell into that, then he could become God. Now, now here, here's the words that I just, I just want you to catch. You don't, you don't think of it this way. Because we think God's up there. You know, does he even notice me? Hello, hello, I'm here. But listen, listen to these words. He needed to predestinate a man that would require salvation in order to give himself reason and purpose of being. Now, if, if, if everything was coming along, God would have had to sit back. Well, it's doing pretty good, you know. I, I don't really want much to do here. But he's active. He's interactive. He's there. He's real. He lives for his own. He, he loves his own. Oh, if you can catch this. God needs you. God needs me. <coughs> oh, he can cast us off anytime. But he needs someone to express his greatness. Oh, let me be part of that program. There, there's, you could read these paragraphs and, and there's so much you could read in here. But if you just think about, Laodicea has no need of God. But there's a group of people, Brother Adam would talk about it and he would say, you know, he, he would have meetings and quite often he'd have to have meetings in the afternoon because he was holding meetings in a church and he said, 
And he watched the church that left just before him. All the people were dressed nicely. They were going out. And then he says, his meeting came in. And there's people in wheelchairs and stretchers. And, and there, there's people in all kinds of situations. And it's like it was in the days of Jesus. The common people heard him gladly. And he watched them come in. And here is the greatest gift God could send to the earth being demonstrated in this last age. But who was it for? For the people that God could express himself to. The people that were hungry for him. Oh, the trial is the greatest thing that you'll ever go through. Paul, I don't know if you can, you can picture this, but Paul, he said he was consenting to the death of Stephen. He was standing there, he says, you want to stone him? Here, I'll hold the clothes. Now, Paul didn't throw stones, but he was just as guilty as those that did. Now, the messenger to an age, the first age, Paul was guilty of murder. And if you look at Paul, he never could get that out of him. He'd say, oh, I bear in my body the scars. And he says, oh, and he desired to die in a way that was equivalent to what he'd been a part of. The trial that you go through, it becomes interwoven into you. I, I won't have time to do this today, but in the Thyatiran age, the messenger is speaking to the elect of that age, and he says, and this I say unto you that have not known the depths of Satan. And I, I, I just, you know, you're, when, you're, when you're not well and you're, and you're sick and you get thoughts bombarding you and... And, and you wake up like it's a nightmare sometimes. And I just thought, oh Lord, this is horrible. I don't want this. And I thought, this world is horrible. And if you, you could catch how horrible it is. I, I, I'm looking to the day when I don't ever have to drive down the road and see a billboard. When I don't have to hear an advertisement. Listen, I, I, I loved sports and things, but to go to a game, I could never go to a game. The rock music is blasting. I, the other day I was in the mall and then I was just walking through a section of it and some, some kind of a bar or nightclub thing kicks up and I'm watching the people, they're just all walking around and, just, and I'm going, Lord, you took me out of this. Oh God, it's so far. You know, I, if you get in the presence of God, you know, it's not just easing your conscience, but there's a sacredness. Friends, don't let it become common. Being a Christian isn't just putting on nice clothes. There's a sacredness that goes with it. When you start to hate the world and all the things of world, then God can move in. But as long as you're always leaning to it, well, I can have a little bit of this. I can have a little bit of makeup. I can have a little bit of a weird hairstyle. If it's a guy, I'm just saying. I can have these things. As long as that pulls there, I'll tell you what, there's that, that part of God, that dove of God, will not come down on that. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm from my heart a little bit here. There's a holiness with God. There's a sacredness. I remember when I, I had just... I think cut the ties. My friends I'd left behind. I Listen, I, I was as steeped as could be in the world. I, I, I cut the ties. I threw up my record collection. I, I, if I had any alcohol, it was gone. I, I had nothing left. I was there and I was driving down the road and I felt sorry for myself. And then all of a sudden he came. 
And I can't tell you the joy that bubbled up in me. The freedom of driving down the road knowing the sky and the clouds and the creator and the lakes and the rivers and the mountains. I was fellowshipping with him. I had not lost a thing. I had gained the world. I had got everything. (coughs) And Satan so tangles us up sometimes. Don't ever lose it. I wouldn't trade that for the world. And I'll tell you what, I just had some moments after I'm coming out of this coma, it felt like, and then that came to me again. I said, Lord, I don't ever, ever want to leave this. I hate this world. It becomes common to us sometimes. It does to me. Friends, Wait on the Lord. He'll strengthen you. I remember, I remember, remembers Brother Dan Williams. A few here. You just identified how old you are. Brother Dan Williams was a blessing to many of us growing up as young, young people. Brother Dan had a, a brain tumor and decayed and passed away. And they said to him, he, I remember him preaching one time, and he said, he was a framer, he worked up in building houses, and I remember I was driving out in, uh, I was out in Arizona, and we were out at Mount Sunset, and it had snowed in Arizona. Yeah, it snows there too. And, uh, and I was driving my little Honda Accord through this snow, and Brother Dan had his van with his family, and he was behind me, and I was just going cautiously, and he just leaned out the window, push on, brother, push on. Don't stop. Brother Dan, they told him, he said, that religion you got is just a crutch. He said, a crutch? It's not a crutch. Without that, I'm a paraplegic. It's everything to me. Oh, friends. Listen, let me, let me finish at least page two. Redemption. It was his nature to be a savior, a healer, a comforter, a shepherd. Your trouble allows him to be God. It gives him reason. The angels, you know, the angels are fellowshipping with him, and, and he's talking with the angels, and and, and, and he's, they're conversing about things. And he says, hold it, hold it, stop, stop, stop. There's a child of mine in trouble down there. I can hear their voice coming up. I, I can hear them praying. Be quiet, I'm talking to my child. You think that's a far-fetched conversation? His ears are open to their prayers. He knows where you are. Don't ever feel like you're nothing. You're everything to him. You're the reason he lives. Where else on the earth is he going to find a people that he can come down and have fellowship with? He doesn't just need to pull you out of the fire all the time. Sometimes that's all we use him for. Well, I'm in trouble and he helped me out and we go back to our old ways. That's not what he's looking for. 
He's looking for fellowship. He's looking for your attention. He desires it. He craves it. What's wrong with coming home? We get on our devices. What's wrong with putting it down? What's wrong with opening a book? What's wrong with slipping outside into your prayer or slipping into your prayer closet? Or even now as the weather gets nicer, slipping out and walking in the woods and saying, Lord, I just want to walk with you. I want to have fellowship with you. I'll tell you what, the dove of God is desiring that. He's looking for that. He lives for that. He craves that. He was Elohim, the self-existing one. But the whole reason of his expression was that he could have a people that he could fellowship with. Not with empty platitudes, but people that would desire the sincere milk of the word. That would desire what God has in this age. Not just a denominational diet of just you know, salvation and, you know, do good and do this. No, but the deep things of God. Oh, I'm going to live with you forever, Lord. This, this little thing here. Lord, I know you'll take care of, but it's you. And I want your will in this. Listen, I, I'm in the next service, and if the Lord leads it, and maybe it's on Wednesday or maybe it's next Sunday, I don't know what I will do, but I want to just speak a little bit about what happened when Abraham met Melchizedek. And I want to just take it on a level, and I want to bring it in, in, a, in a place, because God was displaying something that carries right down to this day. Listen, he, he is, he's always wanted to be a comforter. You know, there's some people that are good at being a help. They see somebody needy, they jump right in. There's other people, they're like the Samaritan. You know, not like the Samaritan, like, like the Levite or the priest, they saw... Saw somebody in trouble? Oh, let me switch. I got to cross streets. Other people see somebody, hey, let's help. Let's get behind us. There's people that are really good at being a help and encouragement. That's a part of Christ. When you see a need, I'll pray for that, Brother Ed. If somebody needs, I'll go visit them at the hospital with, with some meaningful words. Not come in there, wow, you look really sick. Oh, man. Did you know my uncle died of that disease you got? Go home. Don't, don't stay. Be Christian. When you're a father, come to your children. Listen, I, I, I'm interested, friends. I'm not getting to all I want to get to today. I'm not interested in just the ministers living on a level. I'm not interested in the parents living on a level. I'll tell you what I'm interested in is our young people. Our, 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 every one of us living and coming up. Fellowship with him. Don't stand where you're at. Come on up. That's my heart. I just was laying there and saying, what is our vision? Are we just going to just carry on and, you know, we'll have meetings? No. Is it really a burden to have your children in the kingdom of God? Is it really that? Amen. Friends, let's not live for ourselves. Right. Amen. <laughs> There's two brothers at Brother Tim Pruitt's church. They're secondary ministers. 
They just minister once in a while. They have jobs. They have families. One of them is a teacher. It's Aaron Oglesby. He's just quit his job. He's going full-time, feeling like, I need to do all I can. And Brother Tim says, whatever you're going to lose, we're going to support it. Now I'm trying to think of the other brother's name, the short brother. Brother Joe Adams, he's done the same thing. He had a better job. And Brother Tim says, we feel like the time is at hand, that we need to do everything we can. Now, this is not just the zeal, but I believe this is a burden of the Holy Ghost. Our burden isn't just, okay, well, we're Christians, we pay our tithes, we do this and this. No, our burden is to get behind the work. Our burden is to see the gospel move out. Our burden is not to sit by, well, they'll do it. No, we're all partakers. This is only about half of what I have in my notes for today, but I'm going to keep going this way a little bit. Who are we? Who are you? Are we really the family of God? Are we really the children of God? Do we allow the devil to polarize and bring divisions between us? Or are we going to step out and say, I got the love of God in my heart. I'm not allowing for that nonsense. I'm not going to hear those things. But I'm going to pray for my brother. I'm going to pray for my sister. Let's get real. And I feel like Whatever we got to do, God bless you, Brother Andrew, for the podcast, and Brother Max, and Brother Ethan, and Brother John, and Brother Tito. God bless you for the young people's services. God bless you, brothers, for your labels. God bless you for your tithe paying. People don't like it when we mention tithes. Ministers pay tithes. It's not our money. It's God's money. And if you actually ever catch a revelation of it, it is a blessing. It's not a hardship. The return is beyond anything. But usually the people that take offense with tithe paying comments are the ones that struggle with doing it. Pardon me if that's stepping on any toes. The natural man doesn't want to see it go out. But there's another part of you. I'm a part of God and he's a part of me and I can't help but doing what I do. Wow. Let me conclude with I've got to finish page two at least. <coughs> Are you okay just with just two more paragraphs here? Let's see in church age. The faithful and true witness. We often talk about a great unchanging God whose word does not change. And we speak of him after the manner we get a view of him that makes him seem very impersonal. Now listen to how Brother Branham puts this. It's as though God made the universe and all the laws that pertain to it. And then he stood back and he became a great impersonal God. Okay, I've done it. You guys just go do what you want with it. I'm going to go sit over here for a while. It's as though God made a way of salvation for lost mankind, that way being the cross, and then when the death of Christ has atoned for our sins, and his resurrection gave us an open door to him, 
God just folded his doors and stood back. Folded his arms and stood back. We major in believing in a great creator who having created somehow lost interest, personal interest in his creation. Now, he says, I say that is how too many people are apt to think. But that is the wrong thinking. Now, I'm going to ask you, how often does our prayer life become such that, Lord, I... And I'll just say, one of the biggest detriments to our prayer lives is worldliness. You engage in, in everybody's world out there, in everybody's world out there, but now you want to give place to God for five minutes. Sorry, it's not going to work. One of, one of the greatest things, and when we come in prayer, sometimes... You gotta be like Elijah. You gotta, you gotta be bring a minstrel. Sing some songs to me. Sometimes I don't. We have a little Bible study with a few brothers, and we'll get it on, on every second Tuesday. And it's amazing to me. I can be so tired. We start at 9 p.m. I can be so tired, and we just start to go into the word. And I'm watching as the word is just being talked about and studied. All of a sudden, it's like something changes. The atmosphere changes. And I'm going, it's not like it's dynamic preaching or anything. It's the Word. It's Christ, the person. And as you do that, all of a sudden, it becomes part of you, and it's your fabric. It's your being. And all of a sudden, you approach Him, and you come to Him and say, Oh, God, what tremendous truths. And, and you say, Oh, Abba, Father. And I'll tell you what, then there's fellowship. But I say this, asking yourself, not to condemn you, but to challenge you. How much time do you open the books? How much time do you just, not, not just a tape while you're doing something else, but you just give it to him? I'll tell you what, you give God something to honor and you watch the return. The great impersonal God it's a wrong thinking. He is governing in the affairs of men right now. He is both creator and sustainer. He is the sovereign God. By his own counsel, he purposed the plan of salvation for his elect that he foreknew. The Son died upon the cross to establish the means of salvation, and the Holy Spirit carefully executes the will of the Father. He is working all things. At this moment, according to the purpose of his own will. Oh, thank you, Lord. I, I, and we get under pressure and we allow the world and we allow Satan to rush us and we allow him to pressure us and we allow him to do these things. When, when he says, bring, bring everything to Jesus. Oh, what a friend we have. And let's, let's have musicians come. What a friend we have in Jesus. And why we don't bring all our burdens to him in prayer. Why, why, why do we often just keep running, rushing, and we're, we're wore out, we're exasperated when there is a place of peace, when there is a place of rest, when he can come and fellowship again. 
Listen, this, this jumped out of the structure of my notes into some personal thoughts. But it's from my heart today. Brother, where, brother, sister, where are we failing? It's not that we don't have word. It's how Satan keeps us from it. It's, Satan knows if you get this revelation, you get in this revelation, you get in this relationship, he's, he's lost the battle. Because God's already for us. That's grace. When we don't chase after him, he chases after us. He is working all things at this moment according to the purpose of his will. He is right in the midst of it all. The great creator, Savior God, is faithfully working amongst his own right now as the great shepherd of the sheep. Listen now. His very existence is for his own. Reason and purpose of being. Who's it for? What's he living for? Just to see the devil destroyed? Well, that's just the side thing. We are his victory. We are the ones that are proving that this Eve will not fall. He is ensuring you have the tools, you have the capability, and you have something to prove that he is God. Oh, isn't that wonderful? He is true to us. He won't lie. Your lives are hid with him. He abides faithful. He will lose none of us, but raise us up in the last day. I'm so glad that I'm resting in his faithfulness. Let's stand together. (coughs) Why don't we sing, Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what a friend we have.